Hello, everyone, and welcome to the all-new Physical Therapy Soapbox podcast, hosted by physical therapist Dr. Andrew Rothschild and Dr. Andrew Mann. Today, with easy access to information through the internet, social media, news, as well as from family, friends, and colleagues, it can be challenging to understand not only what is accurate, but also how it applies to you. Our goal with this podcast is to curate and discuss the most up-to-date knowledge related to physical therapy and rehabilitation, as well as other aspects of health, including sleep, nutrition, and stress management. We'll also address many of the myths and misconceptions that have continued to persist within healthcare, despite years of overwhelming evidence against them. This episode is brought to you by the Virginia Center for Spine and Sports Therapy in Midlothian, Virginia. Thanks for listening. Welcome to episode four of the Physical Therapy Soapbox podcast. Uh, this is Dr. Andrew Rothschild, and with usual is Dr. Andrew Mann. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, I was checking the numbers just a bit ago, and I think I talked about it on our first episode, uh, where it looks like we're in uh, double digits now on uh, listens. We're in the, uh, the low 30s. So we've uh, increased our, our listenership by like uh, three times at least. So that's pretty good. Bringing on another Andrew helped out. It's, it's just a matter of time before we get some giant sponsorship here. <laughs> Absolutely. Once we hit those low d- triple digits, we'll be, be big time. All right. So today's topic is kind of a big topic. And so what we're going to do is kind of just do a little more introduction uh, to the topic, and then in later episodes, we'll probably have uh, some of the specific areas that we bring up. We'll probably b- go a little deeper dive into those specific areas into later episodes. Um, so the, the topic for today is exercise, or exercise slash movement, and not only just how important it is, but also that it's really so good for so many other things than what people really normally think about. You think about exercise, you think about weight loss or building strength. Uh, we do it, we do therapists, um, and even exercise we do in physical therapy addresses people's health and their current issue in, in a variety of ways. But exercise is also really important for a variety of other health-related issues. So that's where we're going to kind of just introduce those today. Yeah, that's right. And the big disclaimer here is that if you're not someone who loves exercise, I mean, we get patients that come to the clinic all the time and say, hey, I'm not a big exerciser. I just want my pain to be better. Um, We really just want you to understand that movement is important to being human, right? You have to put on clothes, you have to get up, do your chores, go to work, all these things are a part of being able to move effectively and pain-free and they have all these side benefits too. You know, if you're not a big exerciser, just getting out and moving every once in a while, like a daily walk is going to have huge benefits for your long-term health throughout your body. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, I think people don't really, people think of exercise and they have a negative sort of association with it as in the sun, they have to have special equipment for, they have to go somewhere with, it has to be really intense, you know, but when you frame it as like, it's just movement and variety of movements, they like said normal stuff, doing stuff around the house, putting away the dishes, doing laundry, working in the yard, you know, cleaning up after your kids, cooking dinner, doing all these things requires a lot of different combinations of movements, requires different skills, requires 
um, a certain amount of endurance, a certain amount of strength. You know, most people don't need to be elite athletes or or marathon runners or or, or um, powerlifters. You know, but being able to do all the things that your life demands and doing it in a way that it, that do that in of itself doesn't cause any problems. That's the important thing. So if you're have enough strength, have enough mobility, have enough endurance and enough capacity that all the stuff you do in life is less than what you're able to do, you're going to do pretty well. It's when those things exceed what your abilities are, that's when people start to have pain and injuries and those kinds of things. And usually it's from a lack of doing things um, or sometimes in some cases it's doing too much of stuff when they're not really uh, ready for it. Yeah. And, and kind of the, the modern kind of condition of human beings is we sit most of the day or we're at desk jobs. And so most of our day is inactive. And then we have this hour of exercise and people dread that sometimes because all of a sudden you're increasing your activity level significantly and you're pushing yourself a lot harder. Whereas, you know, human beings over the history of our species existence, we just worked movement in with everything we did throughout the day. And I mean, if you look back historically, you know, he, the Homo sapiens have been on the earth for 10,000 or 200,000 years, excuse me. But it wasn't until five to 6,000 years ago that we actually started establishing civilizations where people could specialize into different jobs. Not everyone was a farmer. Not everyone was physical all day long. Not everyone was a hunter gatherer. Um, so that was 97% of our species existence on the planet. People were moving, gathering, hunting. Um, so we get kind of stuck in this modern mindset where we think, oh, why do I have all these issues? I'm sitting all day. Isn't that what humans do? But really, you know, our brains developed and grew um, because they were required for survival, for finding, finding food, um, catching things, providing shelter. So exercise was just kind of worked into our day just naturally. And we didn't, and, you know, movement more so is, is what was worked into our day. And, and exercise wasn't even really a thing. You didn't, you didn't exercise. You went out and caught your dinner. Uh, exercise is more of a modern sort of um, creation as a way to kind of put in movement and put in some of those sort of fundamental and, and, and primitive activities that we used to do. You know, you know, now we, we lift weights, we lift barbells and kettlebells and dumbbells and these kinds of things, whereas our ancestors lifted boulders and rocks and, and, and branches and, and logs and those kinds of things, you know, so that's how they were getting in that, that weightlifting and activity. Um, it made me, what you just said also made me think of uh, the book, The Blue Zones. Are you familiar with that book? I'm not. Blue Zones. It's um, Dan Butner is the author. Basically what it looked at is the areas around the world that have the highest concentration of centenarians, so people who live over 100 years old. And it was very, very specific places like Okinawa, Japan, um, I think there's the seventh day Adventists out in California. Uh, there's just several different areas. Um, you know, so there's those ones in some, you know, small islands in Greece. Um, and basically they found that they, they shared all these different characteristics. Uh, and there were things like, you know, they ate pretty healthy, mostly a plant-based diet, you know, some fish, really not a lot of meat, not a lot of dairy. You know, they had good, um, family and community relationships. They had some sort of faith or sort of mindfulness type practice and all these different things that they're all the kind of the same 
And one of them was that they were generally active. None of them did any sort of formal exercise. They weren't marathon runners. They didn't do a lot of weightlifting. They weren't you know, ultra marathoners, but they were active. They were, they were walking all day. They were moving all day. They were still active and doing things even late into their life. Um, and that was one of the big commonalities. So it's, it's one of those things that exercise is not necessarily necessary for health, but movement really is. Yeah. And I think, you know, when I hear you talk about that, it's, it's important to point out that we hear from a lot of patients like who say, well, I don't want to live that long. People in their nineties and their hundreds are, are miserable. Their, their joints hurt. They can barely get around, but it's, it's improving the quality of your life too. Right. We're not just yeah. trying to live longer so we can be miserable when we're 100 years old. It's these people in these blue zones, I'm sure, are, are have high quality lives in their 100s and they're moving and they're not in pain. So exercise just helps your body overall continue to be healthy and work the way it's supposed to. Yeah, it's, it's adding is the saying, like adding life to your years rather than years to your life. And hopefully it's both you add it's adding years to your life, but also life to your years. You want functional years. You know, you and I see a lot of people probably, you know, especially older individuals where a lot of their retired time, unfortunately is spent going to the doctor twice a week, but other days in their week that a lot of patients I talk to are occupied by going to this doctor and going to that doctor and going to this doctor. And, I don't think most people want to spend their retired lives going to doctor's offices. You know, that's not something you usually look forward to. Hopefully you look forward to coming to us because we have fun, but you know, most people don't want to go spend a lot of time in, in there with, with doctors and to avoid doing that is to, to being as healthy as possible that of what's in our control. You know, obviously there's certain things that happen in our lives that we can't control, but certainly um, sometimes movement um, is, is certainly one of them that we can have a little bit more control over. Yeah. And I think most people intuitively know that exercise is good for them, but they don't realize just how good it is. So if we jump into that, we get into a deep dive of how important exercise is and how many systems it affects. I mean, we think about the muscle effect, the strength, the bone, um, just kind of improvements in energy overall. But I don't think people take into account the emotional effects, um, the improvement in your sleep, the improvement in your immune system, the improvement in your brain, the improvement in your heart, your lungs. Basically, every organ in the body you can think of is going to be improved by exercise. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and let, let's, let's get into that a little bit. I mean, especially I think um, you and I were talking before we started recording that people are probably becoming even more aware of it over this past year maybe specifically because of uh, what we're living through right now and with the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, a lot of people, especially in the beginning, uh, so like, you know, around March, April of last year, 2020, uh, confined to their homes, uh, working from home, not being able to go see family, not being able to, you know, go do other activities like going to the gym, going to going um, with, with exercise classes or exercise groups. And so all of a sudden people were stuck at home for months and realizing the toll that it affects how it, how it had on them, not only physically, but also psychologically and emotionally. And that really highlights the, the need for us as a species to get out and move and, and do things like that. And so I think um, people who are dealing with 
stress and an anxiety and depression. Obviously, there's been a lot going on over the past year, more than just the pandemic that has, has caused a lot of people a lot of stress and anxiety. But we know how powerful exercise is at um, helping to uh, manage those things and improve those situations. Yeah. I mean, we, we were in a mental health crisis in this country before the pandemic. So you can just imagine taking all those people who were dealing with whatever sort of mental issue they had going on, sticking them in a room, not allowing them to socialize with the people they want to socialize with, not allowing them to get out. That's only exaggerated um, all the issues we have in this country. And I just think it's important to point out, you know, that there's been some research on this and there are a lot of companies out there, big pharma and people who are invested in, selling their pills to treat anxiety and depression. And, you know, just one research study that I found in, in 2000 that was done at Duke University showed that exercise is better at treating depression than Zoloft. Yeah. I mean, there, there are so many things, so many research studies out there that when you compare exercise and, and pills for treatment of anxiety and depression, exercise wins out. But that message doesn't get out because that's not what makes drug companies money. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I saw I came across that uh, similar study, you know, exercise increases things like serotonin and dopamine and other, you know, these, the important neurotransmitters that are so important with mood and very play a big role with people dealing with anxiety, and depression, whether it's not enough of these things. And that's what these drugs are trying to do is replace. But it's even done better, like you said, and more effectively with exercise, because it's not only increasing the levels of those hormones, it's also increasing the balance of how those hormones and the neurotransmitters all interact with each other. So it's a, it's a lot more effective, effective way to do it. Um, you know, and there's a reason that also a lot of these drug companies don't like to compare uh, their drug with exercise. They're normally compared when they study it with another type of drug or a placebo or something like that. Because from a lot of things, when, when compared to exercise, they're not as good as exercise. And they don't want to have that as a study and be on the record, you know, because exercise is just always so superior. And that's, you know, I've seen this uh, expression a lot. They said, you know, if exercise, if exercise was a pill, it would be the most uh, widely used and effective uh, medicine ever made. Right. And that, you know, that leads right into talking about another big problem in this country that people use a lot of medication to help with, which is sleep. And yeah. exercise is amazing for sleep. I mean, you just think about the process of sleep and how there's, we burn this energy called ATP in our bodies. And as we burn that energy throughout the day, it just prepares our body for sleep, right? What's left over, the end products of this molecule that we use for energy in our body um, bind to cells in our brain, bind to cells in our body that prepare us for sleep, allow us to recover each night. And so the more active you are, the more you get out and move during the day, the more likely you are going to be able to fall asleep at night. And anybody who has kids knows this, because especially when like summertime comes around, you know, people, they, the kids go to camp or they go to friends' houses and they're running around all day. They are out cold, like at 7 p.m., you know, that, that evening. And there's a, there's a camp here locally in Richmond, and their, their tagline is, we make kids tired. <laughs> it's, 
culture kind of camp. And that's the whole, you know, parents, as parents with young kids, you want that. You want your kids to like go to bed, stay asleep. You know, that's, that's one of the best things. When kids go to school, you know, for the first time after the summer stuff, they're exhausted when they come home just from, you know, all the both physical and sort of the, um, you know, brain stimulation, you know. Um, so these are really important things. So if you just compare that to kids, why wouldn't it work in adults? Of course, it works with adults. But we just, like you said before, our lifestyles are really not conducive to that as much movement and activity uh, as kids for the most part. And they've also shown that with kids too, you know, a lot of times when you have like budget cuts in, um, in education, that one of the first things to go is gym. And they've shown that test scores go down, um, uh, people getting in trouble in terms of like detentions and suspensions and, and acting out in class, those kinds of issues all go up. But when they have gym class and they have regular exercise, when they have regular movement, has been correlated with improved test scores uh, in the schools and in the counties, uh, less issues with behavioral problems. So, I mean, it kind of runs that whole sort of spectrum. Yeah. And it's just, you know, your, your brain needs sleep. So that, that brings you to the next topic of exercise being important for your brain health. And I just have to mention this book called Spark uh, mm -hmm. by John Rady. He's a psychiatry professor at Harvard. Um, he, he really goes in depth and gives some really powerful examples of everything you were just talking about, Andrew. He talks about um, these principals in different school districts. And I think in, I can't remember what state it was in the United States somewhere where they put the importance in gym every day. And they had the whole school exercise each morning because they realized that your brain's better ready to learn and, yeah. and form new memories and form new connections after you've exercised. And he showed that test scores and performance of the schools went up when you include not only included gym, but you included exercise throughout the day. So when they yeah. put an emphasis on it, the test scores went up. And, and that's just one of the few things, I mean, he points out in the book that just shows you how important exercise is for your brain health. Um, I think one of my favorite quotes from him from the book was, exercise is the single best thing you can do for your brain in terms of mood, memory, and learning. Um, and he just goes out, goes on throughout the book to point out how connected our movement is to our brain's health overall. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting that if you think about that connection of, you know, the mind and body, so to speak, if you think about certain diseases that affect the mind, things like Alzheimer's, things like Parkinson's, things like MS, it affects the movement, you know, because so many parts of the brain, you know, we don't have like specific movement regions or language regions or this or that. Everything is intertwined. All different areas of our brain interact together to do all sorts of different complex functions. So there's so much overlap in these different brain regions that areas of the brain that are involved in learning are areas that are also involved in movement. Areas of the brain that are involved in language are also areas that are involved in movement areas of the brain that are involved in emotional processing are also areas of the brain that are involved with movement. So movement is going to affect and enhance these areas and then these other aspects of our health, just as these aspects of our health, if, if affected by disease of some kind, will affect movement. Yeah, and, and 
I mean, you can see, he talks about in the book too, how exercise is kind of the antithesis to stress or unhealthy amounts of stress for the brain, yeah. right? Um, unhealthy amounts of stress or just chronic stress is going to literally shrink parts of your brain they found on MRI studies. And so yeah. he showed that by exercise, by taking part in regular exercise and getting the right amount, um, those parts of your brain can recover. They showed that the, the hippocampus, which is the memory center of the brain, returned to its normal size once someone started getting regular exercise after they had gone through an extremely stressful time in their lives. So um, just in terms of stress management during the pandemic too, I think you have to think about exercise to help reverse some of the effects of all this stress that has, you know, unfortunately caused some health issues for a lot of the population in the United States. Yeah. And we see it again, going back to the clinic, we see this a lot in the clinic, especially with certain populations. And Andrew, those, this population is one that you're overly familiar with and that's runners. And we see how um, when, when runners aren't able to run, it really affects them psychologically and emotionally um, if as much, if not more than physically, there really is a, um, psychological need for a lot of people to run because that is their stress relief. That's their only time they might have to themselves that day. You know, that's it's so when they don't get that, that really kind of builds up and you can kind of see that in those people. So it's not just the physical benefits they're looking for. It's those other emotional health benefits. So it, it becomes, it, you can see how that it really has that, that powerful widespread effect when they are able to do it. And especially when they're not able to do it. Yeah, the last two patients I've seen for running actually told me it's a, for their mental health. And so I'm very careful not to tell people to stop running um, or at least that they can keep exercising in other ways because exercise needs to be a part, part of your life every day, even if you're in pain or if you're having trouble moving because exercise is not just from a musculoskeletal standpoint important for your health. You know, your brain still needs the exercise every day, your sleep, your immune system, your heart, your lungs, all those still need that exercise every day. So if your knee or your ankle's hurting, you still need to find ways to exercise. Yeah. And you're know, bringing up the immune system is, again, speaking just in, in terms of the pandemic, but in general, a healthy immune system uh, is very important, obviously, to ward off diseases, especially things like autoimmune diseases. And obviously, certain things like, you know, what we eat plays a huge role as well with um, our immune system. And we'll get into that in a later later podcast uh, episode as well. But, you know, exercise is one of those things that there certainly is a fine line where you can have excessive exercise, which which just like stress, there is good stress, there's bad stress. Uh, there can be too much exercise, and that can actually... Um, negatively affect your immune system, but a good regular amount of exercise uh, will enhance your immune system and enhance the activity of all the different types of cells that we have in our bodies to ward off, uh, you know, viruses and, and bacteria and these kinds of things. Yeah, I, I think the when I was looking around and doing research for this episode, I the the best kind of metaphor I I found was that exercise for the immune system is like practice. It activates your immune system each time you exercise so that it gets yep. better at um, preparing to combat some virus or bacteria that gets into your body and that it doesn't have an overreaction. It doesn't have an underreaction. Your immune system does just the right amount, takes care of that sickness quickly. You might not even feel any of the side effects of it working. 
And if you exercise regularly, your immune system gets that practice to be prepared to combat things like that. Yeah. The, the phrase I've heard with that is like stress inoculation. You know, you expose yourself to a, a stress and your body has to deal, deal with it and then adapt and then recover and then it's ready to do it again. And kind of similar to getting a vaccine in a way, you know, when you get a vaccine and in terms of a lot of different vaccines, you're getting a small dose of the, like, you know, you get a flu vaccine, dose of uh, the flu virus and it mobilizes your body's immune system to create antibodies and be able to deal with it. So that if a, if it's exposed to a larger amount, it's already prepared for it. And that's like you said, that's exactly what exercise does, but on a, you know, widespread scale, not just a very specific scale. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of research studies you can point to out there. Um, but just one I found was just talked about this Northern gas company that instituted exercise with all their employees as a corporate exercise program. And they found that half the employees kind of followed it and half of them didn't. And the half that did had 80% fewer sick days. So that tells yeah. you right there that their immune systems were working better um, because they were exercising regularly. Yeah. I had a patient just last week talk to me about, I think it was her daughter, her daughter, the company, her daughter, her, da her daughter's not local, but um, the company her daughter works for does the same thing. They, you know, for, uh, keeps track of a lot of their activity and movement and that kind of stuff. I think probably through like a wearable device and for every X number of like, whether it's steps or certain minutes or these kinds of things, it, it, it gives them money to their um, FSA, you know, their, their, their flexible spending account for healthcare, which means they're also probably not even using it that much because they're hopefully maintaining a little bit of health. So they're actually uh, saving on their health insurance by adopting a more active lifestyle. So some, some of these health insurance companies are actually, um, you know, they're, they're motivating uh, people or they're incentivizing them uh, to adopt and make some good health changes. Yeah. If, if your company's willing to pay you to move, then, then you know it's doing good things for you. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think at this point, we can talk about, you know, there's people out there listening who, uh, like, like you said in the beginning, Andrew, are not really like exercising, maybe not have a lot of experience with it. Any experience they've had may have been negative. And I think we can talk about how historically a lot of times exercise was used as punishment, like go run a lap or go do these push-ups because you didn't do something right. And that can sometimes create a negative um, association with exercise, which is really what we don't want. So there's a lot of people who might just inherently have that or they just grew up in an environment that it wasn't really emphasized in their lives. Um, but you know, we, they don't have to do anything that requires a lot of equipment, that needs a lot of expertise, coaching, um, you know, just active and movement is the, is, is the important thing. Like just walking is something that most people can do and is going to have uh, a wide range of positive benefits. Uh, variety is sometimes important um, because, again, sometimes the complexity of the movements affects different areas of the brain in a very positive way. But just kind of doing regular uh, household and, and, and out, outdoor activities and walking can pretty much be everything that, that the average person needs who doesn't want to do any kind of formal exercise. Yeah, and I get that question from patients all the time. What, what should I do for exercise? And, you know, the two general tips I can give them, because I don't know what they prefer, is do something you love, because that's yeah. the only way you're going to be able to keep up with it long term and do it with other people because a lot of the research has shown that 
when someone else is holding you accountable, or at least there's someone else who enjoys doing what you do and you guys are competitive on the bike or with running or with lifting, you know, then, then you're, you're held accountable to do it because we're all going to have days. We don't want to get up. We don't want to go get out and move. Um, but having the social aspect to it makes you want to exercise even more. Yeah. And that's a really good point. Um, certainly though, the doing what you would love is, is the key. And sometimes people just need to experiment and find out what they do like, especially if they have not, if they're not used to right. exercise, then sometimes you have to try different things because you might find something that you never thought about that you really enjoy because you've never been experienced, uh, exposed to it. Um, and so in the community aspect, there's a lot of research to, to support that. Uh, even with things like quitting smoking, it's always done, it's done, it's more effective when done like as a group, like people do it together, you know, they can kind of be there for each other. And that probably is probably one of the big successes behind CrossFit. You know, CrossFit has become wildly popular over the past 10, 15 years. Uh, and one of the big reasons it has, a, it really emphasizes community and you know, people working together and, and motivating each other. And that's, I, I think that's, that's probably hands down one of the big reasons why uh, with a lot of people. Yeah. I, and I just remembered, I, I want to point out that we've have, we have an episode coming up on behavior change and how to form good habits. So if you're one of those people who's like, yeah, I, I know exercise is good for me, um, you know, and I've been wanting to make a change, then we're going to have some strategies coming up just in order to make it easier on you, make it part of your routine um, and just find ways to change your mindset when it comes to movement so that you can make it a regular part of your day. Because I know a lot of people struggle with just getting started. Yeah, I think getting getting started is the key. Is that's the hardest part for for most for most any kind of behavior change, um, and you know, and you see that too also with running groups similar to CrossFit. And running groups are very popular, and we have a bunch of them here in Richmond because again, people are doing things together, and that's probably been harder uh, or was harder, especially in parts of the pandemic. And I think they're they're starting to come out again now, where at least running is one of those activities you can have a little bit of social distance while you're doing it. Uh, and still have still get some of those the benefits of the uh, the community and the socialization aspect in a, in a currently uh, safer way. Yeah, I know myself and another therapist we work with have both kind of fallen off the running game, and it's part of that is there's no races to train for, and that's you know yeah. that's the social aspect of exercise. You want to compete, you want to you know get out there and and see how good you are, and see if the training you've done paid off. Right, if there's no there's no payoff then the, the training sometimes can feel fruitless. Um, so it, it's, you know, the pandemic's made that hard on people and the, the social aspect allows you to enjoy exercise more. Yeah. hundred percent. All right. Any, uh, any last thoughts on this uh, large wide ranging topic? Obviously we're going to get into a little more, lot, uh, not a lot, a, not a little, a lot more detail on specific uh, parts of this in future episodes, but any closing thoughts for today? Uh, I guess, uh, you know, movement is important. I don't want people to get scared off by the term exercise. And you, you, you talk about it all the time with patients, Andrew, movement snacks, work movement into your day. It doesn't have to be, you're going to go out and become a runner all of a sudden. You could just be more active getting up every hour when you're sitting at home, working from home during the pandemic, right? Movement stack, snacks throughout the day. It's worth your time to kind of make that a, a regular habit for you. Yeah. And, and just like you mentioned before with behavioral change, and we'll probably come back to this topic as well, is that, you know, doing a little bit of something is better than doing nothing. I think people think, uh, oh, I have to go and do this amount. Well, if you can't do that amount yet, that's okay. You can start 
small and build up. Or if you, if your goal is to do a 30 minute walk, but you, you kind of get back pain after 10 minutes, well, why can't you just walk for 10 minutes? And then maybe later in the day, you can walk for another 10 minutes or the next day you can walk another 10 minutes. You kind of build it up from there. You know, doing a little bit um, is going to be, it's going gonna, it's gonna to start to have a, an effect just like compounded interest. It kind of builds on itself gradually. And before you know it, uh, you're doing a lot more than you thought just by getting started. The one thing we didn't mention yet, but I just thought of it again now, Andrew, is the, the WHO, the World Health Organization, the recommendations for activity, it's 150 minutes per week of moderate activity and then 75 minutes of intense activity or some combination of the two. And you know, that's not, if you look at that over the course of an entire week, that is really not that much and very attainable for a lot of people. You know, walking is one of those things that you can do. Um, but it, it still counts like, you know, moderate activity is still like housework and yard work uh, counts as moderate activity. So it doesn't have to be like a formal, I'm going to go exercise for this half hour. I'm going to go do this walk. I'm going to go to this exercise class, you know, doing the dishes, vacuuming, um, you know, cleaning up, lifting things up and down, moving things up and down from the attic, bringing something up from the basement. All that stuff counts as that moderate level of activity. So people are probably doing already more than they realize. Uh, and so I think that, you know, people can be hard on themselves sometimes thinking that they're not doing enough when they probably actually are already a little bit, a little further ahead of the game in some ways. Yeah. And, and like you mentioned, Andrew, it's people probably hear 150 minutes. That's such a big number. But if you do the math, that's 25 minutes a day with a rest day where you're not even doing anything. Yeah. So it's really not that much. Every, every little bit counts. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, I think people get, you know, the, the wearable devices can certainly be helpful for, to, to motivate people. You know, you see, we have a lot of patients wearing them, you know, getting in those steps. Um, there's a lot of good data that shows, you know, 10,000 steps a day has been shown to reduce risk of all cause mortality. You know, so things like that, those are other ways that can help uh, keep people motivated and incentivized to kind of uh, get in that extra activity. But I think at the end of the day, it's just get started, do something you like, start small, build up gradually, you know, and then keep going because it's, it's get, you're, you're going to see that difference in, in a lot of different ways. Yeah, just get moving. Excellent. All right, Andrew, where can people find you on, uh, on social media if they want to reach out? Uh, if they're looking for me, uh, the best place to find me is Instagram, and my handle is runningmandpt. Excellent. And you can find me at Spear underscore Physio. Um, and both of us work for the Virginia Center for Spine and Sports Therapy. And you can find us there at VCSST underscore PT. And certainly over the next few weeks, I'll be putting out a lot more posts regarding exercise and highlighting some of the data um, that uh, Andrew and I talked about in the different areas of exercise and the benefits and all that good stuff. And especially when we get uh, deeper into this, there'll be a lot more coming. So um Thank you for listening and uh, please hit us up with any comments or questions or even any topics that anybody might want to hear. All right. Thanks. All right, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Physical Therapy Soapbox podcast. You can find us on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and more. Please leave us a five-star review and even tell your friends, family, colleagues, neighbors, anybody who you might think would benefit from this information about us. 
For more information on the Virginia Center for Spine and Sports Therapy, you can find us on the web at vcsst.com. And for any questions you'd like to have maybe answered on the podcast, you can email me at andrew at vcsst.com.